بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب إليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم وصفيه وخليله عليه الصلاة والسلام أدى الأمانة عليه الصلاة والسلام ونصح الأمة صلى الله عليه وسلم وكشف الله به الغمة عليه أفضل الصلاة وأزكى التسليم وجاهد في الله حق جهاده حتى أتاه اليقين فصلوات ربي وسلامه عليه وعلى آله وصحبه ومن صار على نهجه إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وألحقنا بعبادك الصالحين وأصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين ربنا وسعت كل شيء رحمة وعلما فاغفر للذين تابوا واتبعوا سبيلك وقهم عذاب الجحيم آمين يا رب العالمين الحمد لله All praise due to Allah the Almighty the exalted جل وعلا The one who has gathered us here for his sake The one, the one subhanahu wa ta'ala that has prescribed upon himself the greatest of names and loftiest of attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who has prescribed mercy upon himself, Jalla the one who has prescribed upon himself everlasting mercy that will follow his servants, his believing servants into the everlasting paradise. May Allah make us from them, amin And the peace and blessings and salutations upon the one who sent us our mentors, our teacher, as the one that we follow blindly alayhi salatu salam our dear prophet muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam may Allah azza wa jalla to first and foremost foremost instill utmost love for him alayhi salatu salam in our hearts and to allow us to sincerely and efficiently and accurately follow into his footsteps and guidance sallallahu alayhi wasallam and allow us to part this dunya upon his path and most importantly allow us to be gathered in his blessed and esteemed gathering in the highest levels of paradise, Allahumma amin ya Allah. When, when these supplications are being made, you usually say amin. It's from the greatest, not only from the greatest of supplications, well, like in you're from the, you're in a part of gathering right now, where you are gathered in the houses of Allah Azza wa Jalla, sitting and going over his deen, reminding one another about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a time when inshallah dua is accepted. So whenever, at the beginning of the, of the talk, in the middle of the talk, towards the end of the talk, as a side note, as a tangent, if a dua is made and you recognize it, you hasten to say ameen. Tayyib, inshallah. Ikhwah, inshallah ta'ala, bifadlillah, after the bounty and the aid and assist of Allah Azza wa alone, we're gathered here, bi'ithnillah, to, to discuss a very important topic. And many may look at this, as you guys probably seen the flyer, as just a one of the segments of the religion, one of the sub-chapters of the religion, maybe more so specifically one of uh, the chapters of what it means to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in reality, what we're going to be discussing today is a lifestyle, is a way of life. So I want everyone, bi'idhnillah ta'ala, before we begin, before we start talking about this very heavy topic. Wallah, it's, it's um, hopefully the, if the only thing that is gained from this talk 
is the, the heaviness and the value of what it means to speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we have benefited from this talk. If that is the only thing gained, right? But like I said, we're going to be discussing more than just a topic, more than just a principle even of the religion. We're going to be discussing a lifestyle. And not just any lifestyle, the lifestyle, the only way of life, the only way out of this life, the only way that this life can be approached. The same life that we are living, the same earth that we are walking, there's only one way, there's only one mindset you can have. There's only one pair of glasses that you can put on to go ahead and view this life. There's no second, there's no third, there's no other option, understand? And that is the lifestyle of having good thoughts and assumptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the Arabic language is Thinking well, assuming well. A lot, of, a lot of us translate it into thinking well of Allah or assuming well of Allah. Thinking or assuming, right? These are all terms that don't define certainty. In reality, before we get into his definition of what it is, and what the Quran has said about it, and what the hadith have mentioned, and what the scholars have mentioned, what are the benefits. That's everything we're going to discuss today, by the way. The benefits of al-husn al-dhan, the, the fruits of having this trait of al-husn al-dhan, this lifestyle, living this lifestyle of al-husn al-dhan billah, and also the punishments of not living it, of living a lifestyle opposing to it. Okay? And what are the fruits that you gain and pick up whilst treading this lifestyle? Okay? But before we get into all that, al-husn al-dhan, is better translated into having a certain positive assumption of Allah Azza Certain. You must be certain. It's not just thinking, right? Or a possibility that within this outcome that I'm living or within this hardship that I'm approaching, right? That there's a possibility that it may end well or it may end in my favor. Understand? Everything I'm saying, it will make sense if it's not making sense initially, right? But having good thoughts of Allah is a matter that must be carried with certainty. With certainty. As the ulama mentioned, Al-Husnu Dhan Billah huwa i'tiqadu al-jameelu fillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. We mean Allahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is simply thinking with optimism. When it comes to thinking about Allah Azza when it comes to assuming of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And many may think, Taib, when are the times that I actually sit and ponder and think about Allah Azza wa Jalla? The fact that this question rises shows that we already have an improper understanding of when we think about Allah Azza wa Jalla. Thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that should be accompanying you from the moment you, you are blessed to open your eyes in the morning till the moment that you're able to close them at night. It is something that is accompanying you every step of your day. When you get out of bed, when you're still laying in bed and you regain consciousness, when you're on the way to the restroom, when you're leaving the restroom, when you're preparing for your day, when you're preparing for work, when you're preparing for school, throughout your entire day, Allah should be on your mind. And this concept is going to shed, inshallah, enough light. It's, it's a very, very heavy topic. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to talking about Al Husn al Billah. Okay? But we're going to, inshallah, just try to touch on the main points. Meaning, what is the husn al How do we attain it? What are the benefits of it, inshallah ta'ala? And bi-idhnillah, if Allah Azza wa Jalla gives us the tawfiq, this could become something that we can 
uh, occasionally and consistently visit, maybe on a monthly basis or something like that, inshallah. Because it is something that is this heavy and this esteemed, especially in this day and age that we live in today. Where forget the non-Muslims, us Muslims have not even grasped a proper understanding of what it means to have Iman of Allah And so that we understand what the manzila, what the status of Husn al Billah in reality is, it is something that is accomplished when you have had when you have gained proper Iman Allah Right? So if we have negative thoughts, there are times where we're in doubt when we're where when we're going through a time of trial or a tribulation, a sickness, an illness, right? And we have doubts that come our way, or we may think negatively, or become a pessimist in certain situations. In reality, our understanding of Allah is faulty. You guys with me? Our understanding of Allah is faulty. And we'll bring many examples to elaborate on this bi'idnillahi ta'ala. This muhadha, inshallah, is going to be revolved around a very heavy hadith. This hadith, rawahu Muslim, wal Bukhari fi Sahih inshallah. That he mentioned that the Prophet said that Allah stated. Right? So this is a hadith, sah? Where is the hadith found? Bukhari and Muslim. Who's narrating? Abu Hurairah. And who's speaking now? The Prophet said that Allah said. So who's speaking? Allah So this hadith is known to be a hadith? Qudsi. Jazakumullah khair. It's a hadith Qudsi. Hadith Qudsi is a hadith where the Prophet relays it on behalf of whom? Allah Azza wa Jalla. قال الله سبحانه وتعالى أنا عند ظن عبدي بي How many words is this? أنا عند ظني عبدي بي How many? Five words. I am at, I am whatever my servant assumes of me. This is what the hadith translates to. I am. Allah is saying, I am whatever my servant assumes of me. Did we just grasp a just a surface, yani a surface level understanding of what this hadith says? We're going to unpack it right now. This hadith, qalilul mabna fi tarkibiha, walakin azimul ma'na. The amount of words used to make up this hadith are five. So it only took a couple of words to make up this sentence, this phrase, this hadith. ولكن the meaning behind this is great. It's immense, wallahi. And like I said, it's not just a concept of our religion. It's not just a principle regarding believing in Allah Azza wa Jalla. It is a way of life, ikhwan. Your Lord, our Lord Subhana, has mentioned to us with certainty, affirming that whatever you assume of Him, Subhanahu wa Taala, this is what you will. This is what you will be getting. What does this mean? When it comes to believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before you can believe in Allah properly, are there prerequisites, yes or no? Are there prerequisites to believing in Allah? Because right now we're talking about husn al-dhan, not just knowing Allah exists and acknowledging His existence and believing He exists, right? But we are talking about a level that surpasses that. And that is thinking well and being certain. Being certain. Right? And being optimistic. Right? In Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At all times. Whether it is times of prosperity or times of adversity. Tayyib. Okay. What is the prerequisite to believing in Allah properly? To have proper iman in Him. Do we have prerequisites? Yes or no? This is going to be a little bit interactive. I need, I need to make sure that everyone is paying attention. 
This shouldn't be one of those lectures where you're just sitting, you get a couple pieces of information, and you walk away feeling a boost. Right? We should, we're going to learn, inshallah ta'ala, and at the same time, this will be idhnillah ta'ala, elevate our iman bi'idhnillah. That is the point. We're going to combine between learning concepts of our religion, terminology, concepts, principles, and at the same time, tying them to how this can elevate our iman tonight. Tayyip, bi'idhnillah ta'ala. Na'am Mustafa. Nah, Jameel, right? So, generally speaking, the prerequisite to believing in something is that you must know about it, sah? You must have knowledge about it, right? That knowledge leads to certainty. Once you are aware of an affair, you have information regarding an affair, it leads to certainty. And then that certainty translates to what? Now it becomes belief. Something that you believe in, whether it is present in front of you or not. You don't need to physically see it, you have gained enough information, right? to get you to a point of certainty that this thing exists or this thing does that or this thing carries this quality to the point it doesn't even need to be in front of you you have gotten enough certainty to get to a point which you believe in it believing in something necessitates believing in it when it's present and also believing in it when it's not present طيب. so the prerequisite to Iman is what? Al-ilm knowledge in this case we're talking about knowledge of whom? knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like we said there's a couple of steps we need to get we need to take in order to get to the final destination. What is the final destination? Hmm. Having Husnudan Billah. Are we going all over is, are we going all over the place too much? Huh? Are you guys confused? You sure? Okay, I need you guys to pay attention. Okay? Right now we're going on a journey. Tayyip? Let's word it like this. You guys like it when it's worded like this. We're going to go on a very brief journey. Tayyip. This journey, the end of this tunnel, inshallah ta'ala, the end of this yani, trip we're going to take is attaining husnadhan billah. What husnadhan billah brings forth is utmost optimism in all of your affairs. Is a lifestyle that you've never encountered before. Is a different taste in life. good if I have this for? Okay, this is the end goal. Before we get to Husnadhan Billah, where life has a different taste to it. You could be going through the deepest of tests, the deepest of trials and tribulations, and not a single, a single idea or a single thought of negativity enters your head. You never lose hope. You could be sitting in front of doctors with, so, with, with high prestige, and they're telling you that this is going to happen to you. This is your medical condition. This illness necessitates X, Y, Z. You have X amount of days to you, till you're done for, basically, right? It could be something this practical that we probably even know people who've went through this. But when you attain this manzila, once you have attained this husnadhan billah, even, even a scenario like that won't affect you. A scenario like that won't affect you. Not even the slightest bit of negativity or losing of hope or even feeling down will enter your system. Understand? This is what Husnudhan Billah is. Nowadays people talk about being optimistic and the likes, right? This is what true optimism is. When you reach this understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to get to this journey, there's a couple of steps. Before Husnudhan Billah, you must believe in Him. And not just any belief, but the proper belief. The way He has informed us to believe in Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way he has taught us to believe in him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. To attribute to him the characteristics that he has 
attributed to himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. Understand? Before we get to this belief, we must do what? Like the brother mentioned, we must do what? Learn about him. Learn about Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is, in reality, that is Jannah to dunya, ikhwah. Jannah to dunya begins with ma'rifatullah. Begins with getting to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being acquainted with your Lord and Creator. Allah Azza wa Jalla, huwa dhatul kamil, subhanahu. Allah Azza wa Jalla is, is the complete essence of Azza wa Jalla. There's nothing that can be given the definition of complete, except that it is given to whom? Allah Azza wa Jalla. He is complete. He is the definition of perfection, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is self-sufficient, Jalla ula. He is the most merciful, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one that owns all, Jalla ula. He is the one that facilitates everything from the east to the west to the north to the south, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who has encompassed knowledge of everything, Jalla ula. He is the one who does not decree for something to occur in his universe except that there is a wisdom behind it. Okay? This is your Lord, Jalla ula. And it is a sharaf. It is great status. It is a pleasure to be given the tawfiq from Allah Azza wa Jalla to know Him. To, to be able to be acquainted with Him. To be able to simply answer a question that is directed to you, who is Allah? And you're able to sit there and describe some of His qualities, some of His characteristics. You knowing Allah Azza wa Jalla is the greatest thing you can catch in this dunya. Rather, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he mentions and he says, that's Ya Ikhwata, he says, Inna fi dunya jannatun. Verily, in the dunya there is a jannah. There is a paradise in the dunya. If you don't manage to enter it, then there is no chance of entering the one in the paradise. Meaning, entering the one in the hereafter. There is paradise in the dunya. If you don't manage to enter it before your time is up, there is no chance of entering the one that is prepared in the hereafter. With me guys? What is this jannah that is in the dunya? He said, it is being in a state, getting to a point where you are acquainted with Allah. When you get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ikhwa, you get to a point where you believe in Him and you are comfortable with Him. This will then, fasting forward, يعني, this will then become or translate into a point where you have utmost trust and reliance on Allah. He is the one that you go to at the times of hardship. He is the one that you go to when you just want to talk to someone. Nowadays, Right? There could be a lot on your mind. You could be stressing a lot. Life becomes very heavy. Sah? And we usually tend to find the closest person, the closest human being to us, whether it is our parent, whether it is a spouse, whether it is a best friend, not even to just gain advice. Sometimes we just want to what? We just want to let off, let off some steam. Sah? Sometimes we just want someone to just hear us, to give us a pair of their ears and just listen to us talk. Let everything off our chest. Sah? This is how us humans are created. Getting to know Allah and believing in Him properly gets you to a point where you are doing this with Allah. Imagine you're sitting in your room, everyone is asleep, no one is in your, in your room, no one is aware of what you are doing, no one is aware of your whereabouts. In a day and age when, when one is put into this equation, they're usually doing the haram. When you're put into an equation where no one is seeing you, right? usually the outcome is something that is haram, may Allah protect us. But imagine getting to a point where you have learned so much about Allah, that you have gained comfort 
with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you have became so attached to him, that you are yearning for him, that you have understood his perfection, that whenever you get a chance to be alone, you're looking forward to speaking to him. Does that sound familiar? What kind of people were like this? The prophets, the anbiya, the rusul, the messengers. After them, the companions. After them, the righteous people that we mentioned today. The people that we reference, the people that we quote. These people live this life. It is attainable. Okay? So this is what al-husnudhan gets you to. This is what al-husnudhan looks like. Is when you are at a point where whether it is a time of prosperity, your soul, you're in a state of blessings. Blessings on top of blessings. You just got a good job. Your money is fine. Your family, your family is healthy. You're living a comfortable life. You can't ask for anything else in the dunya. Usually, we, look, we, we try to find the closest person that we can go ahead and share this, share this blessing with, whether it is a friend, a family member. But imagine that the first direction that you look towards is the direction of Allah Azza wa Right? The direction of Allah Azza wa You have prosperity. You're so excited to just mention it to Allah. You're so excited to just mention to Allah the blessings that you know He has given you. And you can't wait to express your gratitude towards Him. Because you know that one, it pleases Him, and two, it is a means of Him increasing you. At the times of hardship and adversity, losing a loved one, being afflicted with an illness, losing a job, going bankrupt, your finances aren't doing so well. Nowadays especially, you lose the people around you. People that you grew up around, people that you thought were your friends, they're turning their backs on you. They're treating you in a way that you never, never imagined. You feel like you're alone. This happens a lot. Today, especially what I just mentioned right now. And people losing other humans tends to be a means of their downfall in this day and age. Tends to be a means of them having negative thoughts, thinking low of life, losing all types of hope. Are you guys with me? Right? When you have al not an ounce of negativity enters your mind whenever you are given an affliction, whenever you are presented with a hardship. And the greatest example for this, ya the greatest example of this is what we see from the Prophets. The stories of the Prophets in the Quran, there's a common denominator between them all. Right? The Prophets that Allah has taken the time to relay this story in detail in the Quran. صح? What are some of these stories? What are some, who are some of the Prophets that we can mention off the top of our head that Allah has extensively went and told us about their story? Like the story of Musa What's another one? Story of Ibrahim another one. Yusuf whole surah. Yunus who else? Ayyub Adam yes or no? Right? These are Prophets that we are aware that the Qur'an spends a good amount of time discussing their affair and discussing their life for a reason. There's a common denominator between all of these prophets. And this common denominator is beyond them all being prophets and messengers. Who can take a shot of what this common denominator is? Hmm. Whatever they were with hardship, they to Before we even get to what they did at the time of hardship. The common, common denominator between all these messengers that we mentioned and we haven't mentioned is hardship. When Allah mentions their stories, does Allah just mention the end result? Does Allah just mention how they are righteous and they are from the people of Jannah and Allah has, risen, has raised their status? Does Allah just mention that? No, Allah rather spends the majority of the time doing what? Going in depth regarding the hardship that they went through. Yes or no? 
right? That is a common denominator. And their hardships, ikhwah, I don't know how much we collectively are aware of their hardships and the hardships of some of these messengers that we just mentioned right now. But their hardships are nothing like the hardships that we seem to, we seem to yani, fall with today. Rather, their hardships are the worst it can get. The, wor- the worst outcome, the worst, the worst a hardship can get is what Allah Azza has related with these prophets, right? And Allah Azza brought these hardships throughout the entirety of their life. It wasn't just one hardship, one affliction. Taib. When we look at, for example, the story of Musa salam. the story of Musa salam. before he was he even reached the age of puberty, right? When Allah Azza revealed to his mother. What did Allah Azza reveal to the mother of Musa? Hmm. Alqihi fil yam, wala takhafi. Allah Azza is telling a mother, the mother of Musa salam, has revealed to the mother of Musa, this newborn that you have. What is Allah saying? Allah is saying, take him, put him in the cradle, and do what? Just have him sit in the river, and we'll take care of him. How much trust do you have to have in Allah to do something like this? Can you imagine any mother in this day and age, no matter how much iman she has, able to do something like this? You're newborn. You just gave birth. This is the closest thing to you. This is a piece of you rather. And you're being told, place him in the cradle and let him just sit in the river. And Allah gave a wa'ad. Allah says, Inna raduhu ilayki. Allah did not say we're going to do this. This is what the process necessitates. Stage one of you placing him in the river is going to be is going to look like this, and then we're going to do this to him. We're going to nurture him like this. We're going to provide for him like so. No, it was just this is Allah, Rabbul Alameen. I'm telling you, place him in the river, and all I'm going to tell you is we're going to return him back to you, and we're going to make him one of the messengers of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. What did she do? She put her trust in Allah Azza wa And what was the outcome of this? She was the mother of one of the greatest messengers to walk on the face of this earth. Rather, the messenger that is mentioned the most in the final revelation of Allah Azza wa The Qur'an that Allah Azza wa has preserved. There is not a prophet who is mentioned more in the Qur'an than the story of whom? Musa alayhi salam and Bani Israel. Right? So before we get to the affliction and the trials and tribulations that came upon Musa, it began with his mother. And her iman was tested. She would not have been able to do this if she did not have what? Having good thoughts of Allah. When you read the Quran, and I'm going to get back to the story of, the, of, story of Musa alayhi salam. When you read the Quran, about 86% of the time, Allah Azza wa Jalla ends a verse with what? Hmm. Allah ends a verse usually, most of the time, and 86% of the time ends a verse with one of his names or attributes. Do we recognize this? For those who are maybe memorizing Quran, maybe who have memorized it, how many times do we see Al-Ghafoor Al-Rahim, Al-Alim Al-Hakim, Al-Ghafoor Al-Wadud, right? All these things, Allah Azza, how many times the Quran is Allah Azza wa Jalla giving you maybe, for example, a prohibition or a commandment or Allah is relaying a story or Allah Azza wa Jalla is describing the hereafter. Right? And then he ends it with one of his names or attributes. How many times? Plentiful of times. Rather, majority of the Quran is this. This is the, this is the, the, this is the theme of the Quran. No matter what Allah could be discussing, 
right? And Allah, like we said, the things that Allah could be discussing in the Quran are plenty. Halal and haram, pro, uh, uh, commandments, how to worship Allah Azza wa Jalla, uh, livelihood affairs, worldly affairs, the descriptions of Jannah, the descriptions of Nar, the stories of the prophets. There's so many different themes in the Quran. But what is the common, common denominator between them all? Allah always brings it back to one of his names and attributes. Why? Abathan, for no reason? La'a. So that this is a way that you learn about Allah Azza wa Jalla. So this is the thamra of learning about him. This should be a different approach now when we go into the Quran. This should be a different approach when we go into the Quran. Not just reading it and pondering over the stories and recognizing the story of this prophet and that prophet and this ayd. No, look at especially when Allah ends with a name or attribute, ponder. Tayyib, Allah just ended now this ayah with Al-Ghafoor Al-Rahim. What did he just discuss? What did he just mention? To go ahead and end with these two names and attributes. Understand? Whatever Allah Azza previously brought forth and decided to end with those two names is an example of Allah's mercy, Allah's rahmah, Allah's maghfirah, understand? And so on and so forth. So this is a method that we take to learn about Allah Azza so that you get to a point where you have this yaqeen that Ummi Musa alayhi salam that the mother of Musa had when she was told to just place her, the most valuable thing in her life in the river like so. Tayyip? Musa salam, he was tried plentiful of times. But specifically, when Musa salam, right, went through years of giving, of trying to call Fir'aun and his people to a tawheed, to la ilaha illallah. And at that time, Fir'aun wasn't just any type of oppressor. This was a person that was claiming divinity. This was someone who was forcing his people to worship him. And at that time, he, he had all the power on the face of earth. Right? He had all the power on the face of earth. And Musa was told to take his brother and to stand foot to this man, Fir'aun, who had all this power. And to go ahead and abolish what he's been calling to. Abolish what he's, been, what he's, told, he's told his people to believe in, which is believing in him and worshipping him. And rather calling people to the methodology he's been given, which is the methodology of Islam. La ilaha illallah. Right? It got to a point where enough people followed Musa, and then Allah Azza wa Jalla decreed for Musa السلام, and his people to do what? To leave. خلاص. It's time for you guys to leave. You guys are not able to sit here and practice freely. So we decree for you in the middle of the night, Musa, take your people, take the people who have believed with you, and leave. Exit the area. صح? Right? What happens on this journey? Huh? What happens on this journey as they're traveling? Rather, first listen, let's... Let's tackle this. Who commanded Musa to do this, to take this journey? Who commanded Musa? Allah Azza wa Jalla. So it's not just advice. It's not even advice of his brother who was a prophet. It wasn't a conclusion that they came with. It wasn't some tactic that they decided to go ahead and follow. This was the command of whom? Allah Azza wa Jalla. So there's of course utmost weight towards this now. So what did they do? They did nothing but follow and submit to the command of Allah Azza wa Jalla. On this journey, what happened? What did they encounter? First, Fir'aun and his army follow him. Follow Musa and their people. And then what? And then they encounter what? The sea. Khalas. Their route has come to an end. All they see is water. Right? And they're coming, to, uh, there's no way for them to move and travel. And what they see behind them is Fir'aun and his people approaching. So what do the people of Musa say? If you were in, if you were in that state, what are you going to say? Fir'aun and his power, right? 
and what he contains and what he's known to do, these people, keep in mind, they have seen Fir'aun punish brutally the people who believed in Musa. Brutally punish the people of Musa, dying in very extreme ways. And all they see in front of them is that Musa, who is a prophet that they believe is a prophet, right, has told us that Allah commanded him to go ahead and leave the premises and travel. And now we have came to the sea, it is a dead end. It's either we wait for Fir'aun and we see him approaching, we wait for Fir'aun to go ahead and end us all, or we enter into the sea and our abode is what? Drowning. So that's the only logical conclusion to come to at that time. What would you have said? Khalas, this is the end of us. Yes, yes or no? And that's what the people of Musa said. They said what? Inna lamudrakul. The people of Musa, when they saw this, they said, Inna lamudrakul. And these are people of Iman. These are people who used to be sorcerers, who used to be magicians. And they believed in Musa sincerely. They weren't hypocrites. They weren't faking it. These were people who genuinely believed in Musa. They believed in Allah the Almighty. Right? But their Iman wasn't there yet. Their understanding of Allah Azza wasn't complete yet. It was still kind of faulty. It was a bit tainted. It didn't get to a point where they had that assumption of Allah, that trust and reliance on Allah, even at a time where the dunya seemed like it was coming to an end. What did Musa say? When the people of Bani Israel said, Inna lamudrakun, khalas, we're doomed. It's over. There's no chance. We're dead. What did Musa say? Did he start pondering as well? Did he start thinking twice? Did he start having doubts? All of my people, my army, the people who followed me, the people who are supposed to trust me and support me, right? And at least be optimistic at, at this kind of time. What are they saying? They have lost all hope. What did Musa do? He said, absolutely no way. You guys think that we're coming to an end? He said, Kalla. And Kalla is from the strongest ways to negate, to negate a statement in the Arabic language. Kalla. Absolutely no way. What you guys are saying is impossible rather. What did he say? My Lord is with me. He's going to guide me through this. Musa in the back of his mind. There's a couple of things going back in the, in the back of his mind. First and foremost, the one who commanded me to leave in the first place was whom? Who is the one that told me to embark on this journey in the first place? Allah Azza so that's the first thought in his head. The second thing that he, the second thing that he was able to go ahead and, and grasp is having a proper understanding of Allah Azza wa Jalla. My Lord is Al-Rahim. My Lord is Al-Hadi. My Lord is Al-Qawi. My Lord is Al-Qadir. He's the most powerful. He's the one that's capable to do all. He's the most merciful. And most importantly, he will never disgrace the believers. He will never disgrace the believers. He will never disgrace those who submit completely to him. That's what Musa had. In other words, what is that? When it seems like the dunya has collapsed, every means you can take to exit that hardship is unavailable. It's impossible rather. And, and how we use it is impossible from the means of the dunya. The husn al if it's properly instilled in the servant, that ounce of negativity won't even enter. That losing of hope won't even cross their mind. Because they have got to a, a specific Menzila, a specific state where they have gotten acquainted with Allah Azza wa Jalla that even though the means may not make it up for me, I have my trust and reliance in the Lord of these means. These means may not make it up for me, but these means in the first place, these means to get out of this hardship is something that Allah has set in stone to be a means for me to exit this hardship or this trial or tribulation. You guys with me? This is how the believer thinks. And to make it a little bit more practical, for example, at the time of illness. 
at the time of sickness, when you are given the news, for example, and may Allah protect us all and grant us all health, grant us all health and stability so that we can worship Him until we meet Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, ameen, right? When you are afflicted with, or someone is afflicted with a severe illness, okay? And for example, the doctors start to say that we've tried this method, we've tried this, we've tried this uh, cure, we've tried this medicine, we've tried this treatment and nothing is working. It's not going to work. We're just going to have to fight it through. This is an example, a practical example of all the, the doors of the means in the dunya closing and not being accessible. Understood? The mu'min at this time disregards the means not being available for him or her. The proper believer who has been given the tawfiq of having good thoughts of Allah and optimism in this dunya does not care if the doors of the means have been locked for him or her. All they care about is that I have Allah Azza wa Jalla and no matter what may be closed, success is near. What's at the end of this hardship is khair. Inna With hardship there is what? Always ease. That's what's going through the head of the believer when he or she has been put through a hardship or a calamity. Understand? This is Husnullah. Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam. When he, Allah Azza referenced him as a ummah. Allah referenced him as a ummah. Allah has called him, he himself by himself as a nation. His family and his village did not believe in the message of Tawheed. They decided to remain persistent on worshiping idols and being polytheistic. It got to a point where they came and plotted against Ibrahim and they're going to throw him into the fire. In the hadith, this narrated in the Tabarani on the authority of Anas ibn Malik anhu, the Prophet mentioned and he said that Ibrahim السلام, made the dua and he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time when they were about to throw him into the fire. Imagine a fire is being prepared for you. A fire is being prepared for you and you have no one to save you. There's no one by your side. You had no followers to begin with. The whole village is against you. And the whole village is keen on punishing you and seeing you go out in this manner. Tayyib? Ibrahim had so much thiqa of Allah, had so, had so much trust in Allah that it was reported that he said, Ya Allah, the lords of the heavens and the earth, the one who has guided me to his pleasure. Indeed, verily, I know that you will never disgrace a believing soul. So if me, Returning back to you in this state is what is khayr for me, then let it be. And if there is a way out of this, then I know there is no way except what you have decreed to happen. Ya Allah, my thiqa is with you. And then they threw him into the fire. What happened to that fire? What did Allah say that what did Allah decree for that fire? Qulna ya narukuni dardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim. Allah decreed for, Allah commanded the fire to be cool. To be a means of coolness and safety. And not just safety, salam, tranquility, peace for Ibrahim. All because of what? Thiqa billah The story of Yunus ibn Matta. Yunus alayhi salam. What was the affliction, the hardship of Yunus? Hmm. Muhib. Yunus alayhi salam. Do you know that what was his hardship? He was what? He was in the sun. Losing his child. Yunus? Oh, right. The whale. The whale. I knew I could trust you, Akhi. Yunus alayhi salam was trapped in the stomach of a what? Of a whale. Okay? Yunus alayhi salam 
this, th there, it doesn't get darker than this. You are in the deepest of the sea. Right? You're in the deepest of the sea. In the stomach of the whale. صح? If there's any time where you lose hope, it's there. And you're just waiting for your death to, 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 to just come at ease, hopefully. Right? وَلَكَنْ يُونَسَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ had thiqa billah. Yunus, imagine being in this situation, these are not just stories, this is not, these are not just stories that we mention. It's not just we sit here, okay, I know this piece of information regarding this prophet and this prophet. No, there's lessons to be extracted from these stories, especially their hardships. The first thing that was uttered from, from Yunus is, two, is a statement that contained two very main points. Okay? This statement that he mentions that I'm going to go ahead and mention right now, it was a statement that consisted of his utmost trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it was a statement that, that acknowledged that the hardship that he was enduring at that time was due to his shortcomings, due to him coming short with Allah azza wa jalla. So not only did he have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he actually started to blame himself for coming short in the rights of Allah Azza wa Jalla and he recognized and he acknowledged that the only reason why I'm in this hardship today is due to me not giving Allah Azza wa Jalla his proper rights. Imagine. He says, وَذَنُّونِي إِذْ ذَهَبَ مُغَاضِبًا فَظَنَّ أَلَّا نَقْدِرَ عَلَيْهِ فَنَادَى فِي الظُّلُمَاتِ أَلَّا إِلَهِ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ فَاسْتَجَبْنَا لَهُ وَنَجَّيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْغَمْ Allah Azza in Surah Al-Anbiya and I'm bringing some of these from Surah Al-Anbiya where the story of Ibrahim was in Surah Al-Anbiya the story of the Noon which is Yunus ibn Matta is also from Surah Al-Anbiya this is a good surah to go ahead and reference if you want to see the reality of some of these prophets at the time of hardship okay Allah mentions that Yunus السلام, when he was afflicted with being placed in the stomach of the whale Okay? The statement that he came with was La ilaha illa ant. It wasn't statements of despair. It wasn't statements of him losing hope. It wasn't statements of negativity. It wasn't him being a pessimist at that time. It was statements of utmost optimism, utmost trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was a statement of a servant who, even though he didn't meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he knew Allah like the back of his hand. He knew Allah so well, greater than the knowledge he had of his own parents. This statement, when you're in such a dark time, being able to say something that is so positive and that is so optimistic at a time where any normal person would have just gave up, shows you how strong this tool of Husnudun Billah is. He says, La ilaha illa ant. He's in the darkest, darkest yani, ditch you can think of. And he says, Ya Allah, there is none deserving of worship, there is none that is divine like you. There is none that, there's none that carries these, these divine characteristics and qualities and attributes like you. No one deserves worship like you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're alone in this kingdom. You're the only one deserving of this power. Subhanak, you are free from imperfection. You are free from any type of shortcoming, ya Allah. Inni kuntu min al Verily myself, I came short. I was from the oppressors. I oppressed myself. I did not come with your rights completely. I did not go ahead and align myself with the way you want me to live my life. That is, in other words, he's saying that is the reason why I'm in the whale today. That is the reason why I've been trapped in this whale. Some people say seven days, some people say 40 days, some of the ulama had mentioned. Right? Imagine just being in that state for an hour, 10 minutes, 20. Now imagine a whole week. Imagine 40 days. 
Then Allah Azzawajal says, فَلَوْلَا إِنْ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُسَبِّحِينَ لَلَبِتَ فِي بَطْنِهِ إِلَى يَوْمِ يُبْعَثُونَ If Yunus was not from those who remembered Allah, not just remembered Allah, قَالَ إِبْنَ عَبَّاسِ Not only did he remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he was from those who assumed all of Allah Azzawajal. He remembered Allah and what caused him to remember Allah at that time and to be optimistic and positive was that he knew Allah and he had good thoughts of him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ibn Abbas says not only was he from those who remembered Allah, but he had this tool of a husnul If he wasn't for this, Ibn Abbas says that he would have been trapped in the stomach of the whale to the end of, to the end of times. You see how husnul is being applied in the lives of the prophets? For example, there's many. There's many. The story of the Prophet Ali I'm bringing examples so that we get a better grasp of the Husnullah. Then we'll talk about its fruits. Then we'll talk about what it means to have it. Then we'll talk about the consequences of not carrying Husnullah. Right? But I'm bringing these examples so we get a better grasp of this concept. What does it mean to have good thoughts of Allah? And this, these, these hardships of the prophecy, Ikhwan, these hardships that we're mentioning that's being extracted directly from the Quran, this is the hardest a hardship can get. That is the deepest any affliction can get. You got to understand this. Whatever affliction that you have went through already, that you have witnessed someone else go through, that you have seen your family go through, understand that it is only a mere percentage, a fraction of whatever these hardships are that we are listing right now from these prophets. And the optimism that you see coming from these prophets at those times is, is the thamara, is the fruit of Husnullah Billah. Okay? There's a reason why I'm mentioning this in this order. The story of the Prophet when him and Abu Bakr عنه, were, escape, were, were trying to escape Quraysh and the people of Quraysh and they were trying to leave without being noticed. Right? Once they picked up the stuff and they started to leave the city, to leave the village, immediately they noticed. The people of Quraysh noticed. Right? We know the story. Right? When they were trapped in Al-Ghar, when they were hiding out in the cave. The story of Abu Bakr and the Prophet when they were hiding from Quraysh, when they were in the cave. Do we recall this? Do we know how, where, where it's mentioned in the Quran? Huh, what surah? What's the ayah? إِلَّا تَنْصُرُهُ فَقَدَ نَصَرَهُ The story where the Prophet and Abu Bakr were in a cave and Quraysh and their people, and not just Quraysh, the heads of Quraysh, the strongest people of Quraysh, the people of strength, the people of status, the people that were known, right? The military men, the generals were there and they were a dis- distance away from the Prophet and Abu Bakr as they were hiding out. Who started to experience some sort of fear? Normally, any human would. Who started to experience some sort of fear? Abu Bakr Abu Bakr It's normal. And at that, what was his fear? His fear wasn't him being captured, him being killed. His fear was, I'm with the Prophet They're so close to us, and they're going to capture him. I don't know what they're going to do to him. They're going to torture him. He didn't care about himself. And this story is actually narrated in so many different ways. There's so many things that happen in that cave that shows that. Right? That's not the time for this. Right? So as they're in the cave, the Prophet didn't wait for Abu Bakr to say something. The Prophet knew what was going through Abu Bakr. This is early Islam, Ikhwan. Even though it was within the first 10 to 13 years of Islam, it's still early. Nothing was commanded at that time. There was no prohibitions necessarily. Ayat were just coming down, talking about the hereafter and talking about who was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So it was a very yani, beginning phase of the spread of Islam. Right? Some, some of the companions' iman wasn't 
at the point that it reached towards the end of their lives. Understand? You guys with me? So this is early Islam. And it's a very hard tribulation. They're running away from the people that have been trying to attack them and hurt them and kill them since the beginning of Islam. For about a decade's worth. So our prophet, the Prophet ﷺ sees the stress and the anxiety in Abu Bakr. So and then this ayah comes down. Surah At-Tawbah, so we have a background. Surah At-Tawbah is a surah that came exposing hypocrites. The people that try to fake the company of the Prophet ﷺ, who try to fake being a Muslim, but deep down they had no belief and interest in it. Rather, they had the opposite agenda, and that was to harm the Prophet ﷺ. These were who these hypocrites were. And Surah At-Tawbah came down to expose them. So that the Prophet ﷺ and the believers around him knew who these hypocrites were. Understand? So Allah in Surah At-Tawbah is saying, you guys may not go ahead and give him victory. You guys may not go ahead and give him izzah and protect him and elevate him. Don't worry about that. Allah is the one that gave him victory. He doesn't need you humans, let alone munafiqeen. You guys are hypocrites, two-faced. He doesn't need you guys, even if they are little in number. So Allah reminds him, he says, if you guys don't go ahead and assist him and aid him and protect him, especially at the time of warfare and battle, then don't worry. Allah is the one who made it, made it upon Himself to protect the Prophet and give Him victory. Then Allah continues. Four things that came down due to the statement of the Prophet when he, when he saw the stress of Abu Bakr and he simply said to him, Inna Allah ma'ana. He said, Ya Abu Bakr, in other words, don't worry about what you see outside. We're not going to be caught, even though it seems like our chances are slim in surviving. Inna Allah ma'ana. Allah is with us. Strong word. This is a very strong statement to, stay, to say, especially at a time of hardship like this, at a time where it's life or death. And you say with utmost certainty and a calm attitude, you say what? Allah is with us. So due to this statement, what happens? The first, the first fruit, Allah allowed the tranquility that has been provided by Him alone to be descended upon them. So now the stress and anxiety that could have been present with them has now been uplifted. Utmost tranquility, calm. Number two, Allah Azza has disallowed for angels who Allah called as Junood. Allah called as fighters, right? But Junoodun Lam Tarawa. Allah Azza has allowed angels to come down that they did not see. They were not able to see them. They were a means of protecting the Prophet in Abu Bakr. Due to this optimism, due to this Husnadan Billah. Understand? You guys see how this is applied in the lives of the Prophets? This is where Husnudan takes you. This is where Husnudan takes you, Ikhwan. Right? This concept of Husnudan, Ikhwan, has many benefits, has many fruits. From them is what we have seen in the outcomes of the stories of the Prophets. This Husnudan Billah is a way you look at life. Do you guys understand, at least now, for just a glimpse perhaps, how a husn, the, this concept of Husnudan Billah is greater than just a concept? is greater than just an Islamic principle. You guys see how it's an actual lifestyle, right? It is something that you apply everywhere, at all times, especially at the times of hardship. What are the benefits of Al-Husn al billah 
what, what do I gain as a servant of Allah Azza When I go ahead and am able to struggle my soul, right? Learn about Allah and get to a point where I can say I have comf comfortably gained this husn al billah. This, this medal, it is a prize, Wallahi al-Azim. It is the greatest thing you could be given in this dunya, where you have been given the tawfiq of having husn al billah. Imam Ahmed in Kitab al-Zuhd, Imam Ahmed ibn Hamd in one of his books, he narrates one of the statements of Abdullah ibn Sa'ud. And this statement is talking about the immense bounty of Al-Husn al Billah. Right? Abdullah ibn Sa'ud says, He swears Abdullah ibn Sa'ud and he says, By Allah, the one who there is no deity deserving of worship and truth except him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. A servant was not giving some, given something more valuable than this trait of Al-Husn al The most valuable thing you could have in this dunya is Al-Husn al This is Abdullah al Mas'ud saying this. And then he swears again, he says, Wallahi alladhi la ilaha ghayru. By Allah, again, that the best thing that you can have is to assume well of Allah Azza wa Jalla during the deepest and the darkest times that you encounter. This is the greatest thing to have. Okay? The first benefit of Al-Husn al-Billah, just like this, this other of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud mentioned, the first benefit is optimism at the times of hardship. Being optimistic at the times of hardship. Right? And this is found plenty full of times throughout the Quran. The statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla where he says, Fi Surah Al-Tawbah, Allah says, قُلْ لَنْ يُصِيبَنَا إِلَّا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَنَا هُوَ مَوْلَانَا Allah mentions and tells the Prophet to tell the companions and those who are aiding him at that time. And Surah so Tawbah is coming down at times where the companions and the Muslims are busied with a lot of battles and warfare. It's a hard time, very difficult time. Rather, it was from the greatest tests upon the Muslims is that the last seven, eight years of Islam before the death of the Prophet the, hard, the greatest of tests is the test of the battles that they had to go ahead and be involved in. Hence, this is why Allah Azza wa Jalla sent down verses that were, that were in the structure of Mecca ayat. We've talked about this plenty, plenty of times. Sahih Ikhwa, we talked about the Mecca verses, the, the, the verses that were revealed in the Meccan time period, and the verses that were revealed in the Medanin time period. And we talk about how they have different themes. Yes or no? What is the Meccan, what is the Meccan theme? Ayat that talk about who is Allah, the characteristics of Allah, the names of Allah, the hereafter and the likes. And the Madani ayat, the verses revealed in the Madani time period, are usually rules, regulations, things that you got to abide by as a Muslim. Okay? You see ayat towards the end of Islam, the last four years, five years of Islam, right? That mimic the theme of the Mecca ayat. Why? Why? Like for example, Surah Al-Ahzab. You guys know Surah Al-Ahzab? Right? This, this is Mecca or Madani? Assuming Madani, why? Because Ghazwat al Ahzab, right? Is Ghazwat al Ahzab Mecca or Madani? Okay, Madani. Right? Ghazwat al Ahzab. Taib Surat al Tawbu, for example. Right? That talked about Ghazwati Tabuk. That happened in the Madani time period. Right? Other Suwar, for example, like Surat al Hadid. Okay? And the likes. These Suwar, the ulama, when they read them, they extract from them many verses that mimic the theme of the Mecca ayat. Why? Because during this time period, when battles started to become heavy on the Muslims and the companions, their iman started to what? To fluctuate. 
So Allah Azza wa to give them tafbeet, to give them steadfastness, to give them aid, to give them reassurance, Allah sent down these ayat to remind them who their Lord is, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who in reality is on their side, who they need to be trusting in, who they need to be relying in subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ayat that describe the reward that's prepared for them, the jannah that, the, that is coming their way. Right? The, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meeting Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah repeated the Bakki theme to go ahead and make sure their Imam is renewed. Understand? Does that make sense? So, the first benefit is optimism. Optimism at the time of hardship. This is the first benefit of Al Husn al Billah. Especially in the day and age, Ikhwah were what seems to be the factor that pushes people away from religion sometimes. Rather, it is either what makes somebody or breaks someone in this day and age. It is these times of hardship. Going through a sickness, losing a friend, losing a family member, losing your assets, all these things. In this day and age, after the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is usually something that makes somebody, meaning it is a means for them to get closer to Allah and start to become more religiously aware, or it is a means of putting them in a deeper ditch than they already are. Does that make sense? Understood? Right? So Al-Husn al Billah is the person at the time of hardship. A is the person at the time of hardship. Allah says about the believers in Surah Al-Imran, right? And this is Surah Al-Imran discusses which battle specifically? Hmm? Badr. Ghazwati Badr. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and it's almost Surah Al-Imran and Surah Al-Anfal, these are surahs that discuss the immense virtues and the miracles of Allah Azza that occurred in Ghazwati Badr. Anyone who has studied the seerah or maybe has even looked into just Ghazwati Badr, you, you may have a glimpse of how special that occasion is, especially for the believers, right? And how the reality of Allah Azza was shown to the believers at that time of hardship, okay? So Allah Azza mentions, right? And these are ayat that are coming down at the time of battle, imagine, at the time of these ayat coming down, and there are many different aqwal and how they're coming down, right? Many different opinions and how, what is the format of them coming down, right? But Allah mentions about their states, if you saw it in Imran. الَّذِينَ قَالَ لَهُمُ النَّاسِ إِنَّ النَّاسَ قَدْ جَمْعُوا لَكُمْ فَخْشَوْهُمْ Right? The hypocrites who come and they see the immense number of Quraysh. They see how many people they're about to go ahead and fight against and how prepared they are, and the army that they have, and the likes, whatever it may be, right? These are people who are the munafiqeen, a trait that you find consistent throughout the Qur'an, is they're trying to exit the responsibility of battle. They do not want to fight. Anything that they, any excuse that they can think of to get out of battle, they're gonna bring it forth, right? So they go to the rest of the believers. The munafiqeen at that time weren't too many, at the time of Badr, right? So some of them went to the believers and they said, the, the people have went ahead and yani, joined forces against us. At that time, there's Yahud. At that time, there's Quraysh. There's so many people along the outskirts of Medina that are trying to put an end to the Muslims. So the Munafiqeen are trying to exit any type of, yani, any type of responsibility with battle. No one wants this in reality. Okay? So Allah says that the Munafiqeen used to tell the believers to go ahead and convince them to be on their side. These people have came together and have joined forces. In other words, look what they have, look at their number, look what we have, there's no chance. So the, the munafiqeen are trying to instill fear in the believers from these people who are trying to go ahead and harm them. Are you guys with me? Okay, so Allah says, 
فخشوهم. They said فخشوهم. These people, the one thing that the companions had at that time that did not allow them to be afflicted and swayed away of the plot of the munafiqeen is that they had, they had husn al-dhannabillah. At the time of hardship, at the time of battle, from the hardest times that anyone will encounter, without a doubt. فَزَادَهُمْ إِيمَانًا The plot of the munafiqeen did not go ahead and instill doubt in their minds, did not cause them to rethink fighting with the Prophet or going to battle. Rather, it just caused them to increase in more iman. Because they realized that these are people who did not have an understanding of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And they had certainty in Allah. They've seen what Ghazul Badr came with. They've seen how Allah saved them when they were in Quraysh being boycotted. They have seen many of the miracles of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And they have gotten acquainted to Allah Azza wa Jalla at a point where if the Prophet commanded them to do something, if the Prophet commanded them for battle, if the Prophet commanded them to migrate, they did not worry about what the means brought forth. All they knew was Allah was on their side and there is no one better to have by his side than Allah at the time of hardship. فَزَادَهُمْ إِيمَانًا وَقَالُوا حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلِ This statement, ya ikhwah, this statement is from the most beautiful statements of utmost submission in reliance on Allah Azza wa Jalla. This statement, this, this dhikr, حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلِ Allah Azza wa Jalla is sufficient for us. حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ, this is what it means. حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ Allah is sufficient for us. وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلِ And what a great aid to have. What a great partner to have. What a great guardian to have. What better guardian to have than Allah. حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ Allah is sufficient for us. Even if the means don't add up. Even if it seems like we're deficient. Even if it seems like we're not prepared. Even if we're being told, you're doomed for. But what did they have? حُسْنَ الظَّنِّ Good, positive thoughts of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Allah, I don't care about the means. Allah is sufficient for me. Number one, الوكيل, and what a great guardian to have by my side. Right? Then Allah mentions their reward. Right? That Allah has switched their affair for being in a state where they were in fear and anxious and stressed. That Allah has flipped their affair due to their optimism. Due to their trust in Allah, due to their husn al-dhan, فَانْقَلَبُوا بِنِعْمَةٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ Their affairs switched and flipped to abundant bounty from Allah, abundant ni'am from Allah, abundant, abundant bliss and blessing from Allah Azza wa Jalla. وَفَضْلٍ لَمْ يَمْسَسُمْ And the favor of Allah Azza wa Jalla, that no type of su, no type of affliction was going to touch them. All because of what? Was it the means that they had? Was the weapons that they had? Was it the armory that they had? Was it the manpower that they had? What was it? What was it that caused them to be saved in such a manner? What was it, Yahweh? So that is the first benefit of Al Husn al Billah. What is it? What is it? I can't hear you. Optimism at the time of hardship. That's the first benefit of Husn al Billah. Number two, it is certainty. In your du'a being accepted. The second benefit that you get from Husn al is having certainty that your du'a, whatever the du'a is, no matter if it's small, if it's grand, right, that your du'a is going to be accepted. There is a deficiency today in our understanding of du'a. Okay? In our understanding of du'a. Firstly, du'a going to Allah Azza wa Jalla in this day and age 
has become a last resort for some of us. Right? When we have exhausted the means, right? And things seem to not be progressing, then we resort to what? Then we resort to, okay, let me, let me make dua. Let me try to get up in the middle of the night now. Let me pray some tahajjud. Let me increase my nafil prayer. Let me read some more Quran. When times get tight, not at the beginning of the affair, right? The beginning of the affair came, us humans, we put our trust and reliance in the means. We realize that the means weren't cutting it. I can go back to the example of, for example, the illness. You've been diagnosed with an illness. May Allah protect us all. One has been diagnosed with an illness. Okay? And of course, you're in a state of shock. It's a very severe illness. Okay? And all you have in front of you is a doctor saying, okay, we have a 70% chance that this treatment may work and this cure may work on after and this kind of therapy and the likes. Right? Here's the, here's the, yeah, the, the statistics of these treatments working. And we're going to go through stage A, stage B, stage C. Right? And you must prepare yourself for this treatment in such a manner. And going into the second treatment, you must do this. And you must do it this amount of times a day, at this specific time of the day. Understand where I'm going through, guys? Say this person, at the time of shock, at the time where this hardship has been tossed on their platter, right? Their trust and reliance was solely directed towards the means, the treatment. I got to do it like this. I got to stay away from this environment. I got to take this medicine X amount of times a day, uh, whatever it may be. And you go through all the treatments. And you come towards the end of the treatment cycle, for example, and the doctor tells you, it seems like the illness is not only still present, but it's progressing. Many, perhaps many of us have encountered this before personally, or they know someone who has went through something like this. Right? I'm trying to bring a practical example. Okay? So this person has put all their time and effort towards the means. In this case, it's the treatment. And they get to a point where they're expecting good news. I did everything I was directed to do from the means. The doctor, the expert told me to do X, Y, Z for six months. And now I'm coming at the end and I'm being told by the professional, I'm being told what? It seems like it's still there. It seems like the illness is still present. Rather, it's progressing. It's growing. There's not much we can do at this point. We have to sit and watch. We have to sit and just mo and, and, and moderate what's going on with the illness. At that point, that's usually when people go to dua. That's when people go to Allah. When the means didn't work, then I go to Allah Do you guys see how this is faulty? Do you guys understand how this, why this is a faulty approach? And it's a very common one. And take this example and apply it to any hardship or calamity that one can go through. Usually at the peak of that calamity, that's when the person goes to Allah Azza but rather, before you direct yourself and put any effort towards any means to get yourself out of that ditch, to get yourself out of that calamity, the first step is going to Allah. The fact that we don't go to Allah first shows us we have an improper understanding of who He is, which means that we are far away from Husn al Right? When you have a Husn al you have this trait where you are certain that your dua is being accepted. Another faulty approach we have today is specifically with our dua is that when we make dua, we still feel anxious. We're still stressed. Right, you're making dua for a, for a specific job opportunity. You're making dua for a specific thing to occur in your life. You're making dua for a specific cure. You're making dua for marriage. You're making dua for rizq. You're making dua for a child, whatever it may be, right? When we make dua, we're still anxious. You're still stressed. We kind of forget that you just brought forth your problem to that you just brought your problem 
to your Lord, the one who facilitates this entire universe, the one who is in control of this entire universe from A to Z, the one who has said about himself that if my servant calls upon me, then it is upon me to respond. How many times do we hear these kind of verses? Where Allah is speaking with certainty, He's made it upon Himself, subhanAllah, that as long as my servant calls upon me, I'm answering. Allah is saying this, not even another man is telling us this. Allah Himself is saying this. Yet we make dua and we're still stressed out. Yet we make dua and we still have doubt. Yet we make dua and we're not comfortable. When you were laid dua, the proper state you must be in after making dua, you ikhwan, is like I have mentioned to a couple of brothers. This is an example that one of my teachers have given me. When you are making dua, for example, in sujood, imagine your problems and the issues that you're, you're about to bring forth to Allah Azza wa Jalla is like a, a, a pile of bricks stacked on your back. It's a heavy load. It's a heavy burden, right? And now you're coming down in the lowest possible state the most humbling state, and that is sujood, just to bring forth your problems to Allah Azza wa That's the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do is to acknowledge that He is the only one I go to at the time of hardship. I have been stacked with so much burdensome problems and issues and conflicts. And I have been put in a state where I can only go to Allah. So imagine there's a heavy, heavy load of bricks on your back, and that represents your problems. You go into sujood and you speak to Allah. You talk to Allah. You ask Allah. You beg Allah. You repeat to Allah. You, you are consistent. You are persistent in your dua. Ya Allah, I know you are the only one that can do this for me. You are the only one who can take me out of this illness. You are the one who cures. Everything else is deficient without you, Ya Allah. These statements of acknowledging His power and His greatness is what gets, the, gets Allah Azza wa Jalla very pleased with His servant. And then you bring forth your problems. Ya Allah, I have been afflicted with this illness. And Ya Allah, you are the one who cures all. Ya Allah, from your mercy, from your karam, from your generosity, Ya Allah, grant me. Grant me a cure. Grant me a way out of this conflict. Now your problems, now you have, you have finished your dua, as you are exiting sujood and coming back to the sitting position, that load should have been removed completely from your shoulders. You should, be, you should feel so much lighter now. That is the reality of the, the proper dua. When you make dua, you should feel that light. The conflicts that you had pre-dua, right, should absolutely be removed. That stress and the anxiety should be lifted completely after you make dua. Because you're not talking to some millionaire. You're not talking to some person of status. You're not talking to some king or some royalty. You are talking to Allah. You're talking to the, the facilitator himself, the creator, the powerful one, the one who is capable of Allah Azza wa Who else do you want by your side? Hence, when you have the proper understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is something that you will find falling into your qualities as well. And that is that you are certain that Allah azza wa jalla will respond to your dua. You guys see the time? Does that make sense? You guys see the time? Okay. That's the second benefit. The third benefit of al-husn al billah, having good thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that it will improve the quality of your worship. That is number three. And rather, number four is, it will further you away from the avenues of sin. These are very important in this day and age. Very important. Number three is that it will improve the quality of your ibadah. It will improve the quality of your worship, the quality of your salah, the quality of your dua, the quality of your dhikr, the quality of your reading of the Qur'an, the quality of your charity. Everything, it will prove the quality of it. And at the same time, number four, it will further you away from the avenues of sin. Not even from just sin itself, but the avenues that lead to sin. 
This is what husn al-dhan does. Because like we said here, ikhwa, al-husn al-dhan, in reality, good thoughts of Allah, in reality, comes from knowing Allah Azza wa Jalla. Put it like this. Al-husn al-dhan is the default, is the default end result of getting to know Allah. If you get to know Allah properly, with a sincere heart, with no other ulterior motives, you just want to get to know Allah so that He can be pleased with you, so that your life can be better, so that you can attain His pleasure. You sit there and you say, I'm going to open the Qur'an, I'm going to go to this lecture, I'm going to open up this series. My intention is just to learn about Allah. I want, to get, I want to fall in love with Allah. I want Allah to be what makes me happy day in and day out. I want Allah to be all I'm thinking about on, during my days and my evenings. Right? If you take that route to getting to know Allah Azza wa Jalla, the default end result is you will get husn al billah. It doesn't even need to be something that you are struggling or you're trying very hard to attain. If you just get yourself on the route, on the route or the road of getting to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's going to be the outcome whether you like it or not. Is that you will have good thoughts of Allah Azza wa Jalla. How will this improve the quality of your ibadah? You have no choice. When you get to learn about Allah, that He's Al-Kareem, He's the most generous. He's looking, he's looking for any possible way to make it easy for you. He's looking for any possible way to multiply the avenues of good and ease for you. When you understand that Allah Azza wa Jalla is Al-Latif, that He decrees for things to occur in my life, that may seem to be bitter in essence, well, like in the end result, maybe even years later, I realized that it was for the greater good. When you realize that he's a Rahim, that he specified his mercy for me, because I have decided to submit to his oneness. I have decided to submit to his legislation. I understood that my desires are only going to lead me astray. And Islam is the way I need to program myself. And you understand that Ar-Rahim is Allah giving his specific mercy to me. He's aiding me towards his Jannah. That's been prepared for me. That's been prepared for believers only, not for anyone else. When you get to know these, I just mentioned three names. When you get to know Al-Afu, Subhana, the one who is eager to have your bad deeds erased from your book of deeds. That's what Al-Afu is. Al-Afu is the one who is waiting for you to, for that single moment of regret to arise in your system so that he cannot just pardon you, so he can remove it completely, that sin remove it completely from your book of deeds. When you get to know Allah in this manner, by Allah, do you want to do anything else aside from perfecting the ibadah that you do between you and Allah? Rather than anything that you want to do other than worship Allah. That's what happened. That's, when you read the stories of the people of the past, ikhwa, and you see how much ibadah they used to do, and how much khushu'a they had, and how much they were ready to just give up the dunya and sacrifice all to their name, this came with hard work. And that, that end result came from them knowing Allah Azza wa Jalla. They were yearning for worship because they knew Allah. They got to know Allah Azza wa Jalla. Hence, when you get to know Allah Azza wa Jalla, the husn then that you acquire will cause your worship to not just be something that you are persistent in, but the quality of it, the quality of it, the quality of it increases. The salah that you were praying three months ago in jama'ah is so much more different, so much more awareness, so much more quality in your salah just from you learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You abandoning from sin, staying away from the avenues of sin becomes so much more easier because you learn about Allah Azza's names and attributes, what He's prepared for the people who sin, what He's prepared for the people who disobey Him, and what He's prepared for the people who just struggle themselves for a couple of moments in this dunya. Fight your desires for just a day, two days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Just fight your desires for a little bit. It's a brief test. 
It's a very, very short test. And what's awaiting at the end of this path is everlasting bliss. That's what happens when you get to know Allah. This, this is not just a quality you carry now, ya ikhwah. This becomes a way that you're looking at life. Do you guys see how it becomes a, a way that you're looking at life? It's a way that you approach life now. Your way of approaching life isn't dunya focused anymore. Isn't just how can I make more money? Isn't just how can I be more successful in my business? It becomes how can I improve my relationship with Allah today? How can I better my chances in Jannah today? What investments can I make for my house in Jannah today? That becomes your way of life. That's a way of life. That's a way of thinking. That's a way of perceiving this dunya, ikhwah. You can't get there unless you know Allah. And once you know Allah Azza wa Jalla, it becomes having great thoughts of Him. Assuming the best of Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you assume the best of Him, all you want to do is just busy yourself in worship and gratitude. And the last thing you would want to do is follow into a deed that He dislikes. A deed that makes Him angry. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the last thing you would want to do, just like your mother. Just like your mother. You know her so well. You see the, 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 the qualities of care and compassion and sympathy and empathy that she carries, the sacrifice that she makes for you, right? And it gets to a point where you do the impossible for your mom, yes or no? You do the impossible for your mom. And you try your, in an ideal world, you would do the impossible to just please her and obey her, yes? And you would do the, impo you would do the impossible to stay away from anything that will bring forth her, ang his, her, her anger and her displeasure, yes? Why? You know her. And you assume well of her. If someone comes and tells you something negative about your mom, you will never dare believe it on sight because you know your mom. All you think about your mom is in a, in a positive manner, in a positive light. She would never do this. She would never do that. I know her too well. She doesn't carry these traits. Understand? So when you have al-husn al-dhan, your ibadah increases in its quantity and its quality. And when you have al-husn al-dhan number four, your approach towards sins become to decrease. The same desires that you have, that you had towards sins, become to decrease. Rather, your desires that were geared, that were geared to be attached to the haram, once you learn about Allah Azza wa Jalla, your desires start to yearn for ibadah. Right now, our desires are getting, we'll end with this inshallah. Right now, our desires are geared to want the haram. Money, for example, the opposite gender, um, intoxicants, that kind of lifestyle, whatever it may be. That's what our desires want. Whenever we see someone living that lifestyle, sometimes we're like, man, it would be really good to live like that. Man, it would be really good to have that under my name. The more you get to know Allah Azza wa Jalla, the more your desires start to slowly unravel around wanting the dunya. And start to unravel slowly from the haram things that it may be attached to today. Right? And not only that, it begins to get a grasp and it begins to yearn for worshiping Allah Azza wa Jalla. And things that will bring forth His pleasure. When you learn about Allah Azza wa Jalla, you don't care about the zeros in your bank account. You don't care about the clothes that you got on your back. You don't care about what you have to your name in this dunya. All you care about is what can I do today to get Allah's pleasure? What can I do today to make sure that He's pleased with me? What can I do today so that on the day that I meet Him, I'm able to hear the words, Allah telling you that He's been pleased with you. That's what happens when you have husn al You don't even have any type of inclination towards these avenues anymore. All you want to do right now is focused on what will bring me Allah's pleasure. The benefits of Husnudan are many, ikhwah, right? And there are many things we didn't mention today. Rather, majority of what I wanted to speak about, I couldn't, because I realized we needed to go ahead and focus a little bit more on this concept of Husnudan, and that's what necessitated that we speak about some of the instances of the prophets that we know, right? And how Husnudan played in their lives. And then we decided to just suffice ourselves with just four 
of what Husn Adhan does to you in your life. Right? This is how vast this topic is, Ikhwan. And like I said, it's not just a topic, it's a way of life. It is a way you approach this life. And the only way to it is getting to know Allah Azza wa Jalla. Those who are aware of what we try to focus on around here, especially with the halaqat here and even the khutab here, we try to focus on topics um, or lectures that really gear towards learning about Allah Azza wa Jalla, learning about His names, learning about His attributes. Because that is the cure to everything that we're going through today. People are having trouble with sin. People are having trouble with not worshipping Allah. They don't find an inclination to pray. If they're praying, they don't feel their prayer. They, they feel like that after repenting from a sin, they go back to it. They feel like they have too much attachment to the dunya. These problems are things that we can all probably relate to in this room today. Right? And there's only one cure. That one cure is getting to know Allah. That is the only way out. Someone can tell you, go make this dhikr 20 times. Go pray the salah 20 times. Go pray your nafila. Go do this. Go, go fast every other day. That's only going to do so much. If it's not built upon a proper understanding of Allah and being acquainted with Him. That is the way out. And that is the one thing that the people of the past perfected and what caused them to be day and night from how we are today. That's why we're always in awe. And we're always in shock when we read about their lives and the traits that they carried and we compare it to how we're living our lives today. Because they perfected this one quality, and that is getting al husn al billah. May take five years, may take ten, may take a lifetime. But the point is that you gain it, and you're able to taste it before you have your last moments. And as long as you taste it before your last moments, wallahi, all you're going to see is bliss. May Allah make us from this people. Sallallahu alayhi wa jalla, and you faqihina fi deen. Sallallahu alayhi wa jalla, and you rizukna ma'rifatihi subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sallallahu alayhi wa jalla, and you habib ilayna al-eeman. ويزينه في قلوبنا ويكره إلينا الكفر والفسوق والعصيان اللهم حبب إلينا الإيمان وزينه في قلوبنا وكره إلينا الكفر والفسوق والعصيان اللهم آتي نفوسنا تقواها وزكها أنت خير من زكاها أنت وليها ومولاها اللهم إننا نسألك الجنة الفردوس الأعلى وما قرب إليها من قول وعمل ونعوذ بك من النار وما قرب إليها من قول وعمل وصلى الله وسلم على البشير النذير المبعوث رحمة للعالمين نبينا محمد عليه أفضل الصلاة وأزكى التسليم جزاكم الله خيرا